If you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Matthew, chapter 2. Some of you are going to look at that and you're going to say, wait a minute, uh, Jimmy must be uh, off his rocker this morning. We read that passage last Sunday. Of course, there are several of you who were here last Sunday and you're thinking, wait a minute, we read that passage last Sunday? Um, we did, we did. We're going to read it again. Uh, and the reason is, in fact, we're going to camp out on this passage for a couple of three weeks, maybe even more, I don't know, uh, because... In every passage of Scripture, and certainly in this one, uh, there are many gold nuggets there that we rarely see. And so I want us to stay in one place for a while and do a little more digging and find out what is there. I've never met anybody who enjoys change. Uh, that is especially true of uh, Baptist folk like you and me. We really don't like change. Even those who would say, well, I'm a contemporary person, even contemporary people don't like change. If you don't believe that, let's just make a suggestion that we make a major change to the contemporary service. And all of a sudden, the traditional in you folks starts rearing its head, really. Uh, we all, myself included, we really don't like change, kind of like a routine, I like a good predictable routine. I like knowing with, with some amount of certainty what, what's going to happen tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. And I don't mind a minor surprise. In fact, I find that kind of exciting. But don't, don't turn my, my fruit basket over too much. I might lose my bananas. Okay? But the problem is, life is not that way, is it? For us, routine no matter how routine routine may become, will change at some point. Something will shock us. Something will surprise us. Life will change. Decisions that people make impact us. Decisions we make impact others. A sickness is diagnosed. A move is required. Uh, a job is lost. A snowstorm comes. Life happens, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves knocked out of kilter. Our normal is replaced by some semblance of abnormal. Now, I wish I could say, and I'm, 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 I'm sitting here, standing here saying things to you you already know. I wish I could say that when our life gets knocked out of normal, that in five or six days, it'll be back to normal, kind of like a snow and ice storm. We have it on Sunday night, but by the next Sunday, well, we have a few ice patches, but everybody's going to school tomorrow, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. <laughs> so we have a holiday. Uh, I actually knew that. Because uh, Barry asked me to, this morning if, we were, if the church office was closed this morning. And I said, what, Barry? Thank you very much. <laughs> so I knew that. Life happens. Life happens. It upsets our apple cart. Matthew chapter 2 is a, is a chapter, and we could, we could pick a thousand different passages in God's Word that, 
that address this issue, but Matthew chapter 2 is one in which life happens and changes everybody's normal into something different. I'm going to begin reading with verse 12. By the time you get to verse 12, the wise men have followed a star all the way to Jerusalem, talked with Herod, got Herod all upset. Herod causes religious leaders, where's the Messiah to be born? Well, the Bible says in Bethlehem of Judea. And so Herod comes back, privately calls the wise men, you guys go to Bethlehem and see this child. When you get through worshiping him, come back and tell me. I want to worship him too, you know. And then we come to verse 12. The wise men have come to Bethlehem. They've worshiped Jesus. They have given him gifts. And now verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the wise men returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, the wise men, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then... What was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping, great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we feel your presence in this place. And we pause because we just want to soak in the privilege it is to be in your presence. For many of us in this room, Lord, as you well know better than we do, life has changed. Circumstances have unexpectedly arisen, and normal is not normal anymore. And Lord, when we find ourselves in those places, 
especially if those places are dark places, hard places, places where the answers don't come easily. We cry out to you. So, Lord, we open our Bibles, which we believe is your word. And we cover every punctuation mark and every letter and put them under a microscope so that we can see something. That would be a word from our Lord. In our dark place. Let me be a mouthpiece for you. This morning. And give us a word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, we began this, uh, actually two weeks ago, we began this study of finding our way back to normal. The first Sunday of this series was really an interview with a, a very dynamic and lovely young lady, Abby Allen, and her father. Abby is a cancer survivor and uh, still going for uh, x-rays and scans every so often to make sure that everything is still above board and working the way it should. And she's finding her way and her family is finding their way back to normal. Last week we dove into Matthew chapter 2, and, and what, what I'm trying to do in each of these messages is to pull out one single ingredient, one single ingredient that is key to each of us finding our way back to normal. Now, in any sermon on this subject, I, I could come up with 10 different ingredients because God's Word is that rich every Sunday. But the problem is, the more ingredients I give you, the fewer you're going to remember. So I'm just going to give you one. Last week I gave you one. You remember what it was, I think? And that is, it was this, the key, one of the key ingredients in finding our way back to normal is being attentive to God's direction. Do you remember that? And you remember in this story in Matthew chapter 2, you have the wise men who were following a star. God was giving them direction through a star. A, a, an astronomical event, circumstance in their lives. And, and they followed that star from far east to Jerusalem. And once they got there, they followed the star again to Bethlehem. God gave them direction and they were attentive to God's direction. And as a result of following that direction, being attentive to God's direction, God blessed them. They got to see the Lord. And they were among the first to do so. Then there was Joseph and Mary. And throughout Matthew chapter 2, we find, and the end of chapter 1, God gives Joseph consistent direction through dreams, by speaking to him in his dreams. Now, God doesn't, or has not, as far as I know, spoken to me in dreams. That's not the way he normally speaks to me, but it was the way he consistently communicated and gave direction to Joseph. And Joseph was attentive to God's direction. Then there was Herod, King Herod, the lunatic, jealous, 
murderous, hungry for authority and popularity and fame king. And God gave him direction, first through the wise men, second through the religious leaders who said, oh, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And through the wise men, he gave Herod direction through the scriptures. He gave him direction by placing him as the king in Judea when the Messiah was born. No human being in history can make that claim except for Herod. God spoke to him, gave him direction in at least four different ways. But unfortunately, Herod, unlike the wise men and unlike Joseph, was inattentive to God's direction. You remember that? And so all of that to say, we could go on, I don't want to re-preach the sermon, but I, I want to entrench in your mind and heart this fact, that finding our way back to normal, finding your way back to normal, requires being attentive to God's direction, however He may give you that direction. It's probably not going to be in dreams, and He's probably not going to do it through a star, but He will give you direction through circumstances, through the counsel of godly people, and through the Scriptures for sure. Now, there will be some other ways, but those are three ways. Circumstances, counsel from godly people in the Scriptures. From those three, through those three, God will give you direction. The question is, how attentive will you be to God's direction? That will determine how rapidly you find your way back to normal. That was last week. One ingredient a week, that was last week's ingredient. Today, I want to return to Joseph. I've always been, uh, since I started as a young adult, really, really delving into the birth narratives, Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. I've always been amazed and enamored by Joseph. Joseph and Mary, according to Luke, are living in Nazareth. Now, Matthew doesn't say that. Luke says that. They're living in Nazareth. Somewhere along the way, while Joseph is going about his work as a carpenter and thinking about getting married to Mary, he's engaged to her, he's asked her to marry him, she said yes, he's excited. You know what it's like to be absolutely butterfly in love? Love. What's the matter with you? You're different. I'm in love. Joseph was in love. And then his girlfriend... His wife-to-be comes up to him and says, I'm pregnant. And all of a sudden, from that, point, from that point on, for a long time, Joseph's life is no longer normal. One single sentence moved him from normal to abnormal. You see, it doesn't take much, does it? And so, I don't know how much time transpired while he was trying to decide what to do. He finally decided to privately divorce her, privately, because he didn't want to disgrace her and and put her under the consequences of the Old Testament law, which would have required her to be stoned to death. So he decides to divorce her quietly. He hates to do it because he loves her, but he's got to do it because she's cheated on it. Or he feels like she has. And then in a dream, God gives him direction. Joseph, don't be afraid to take this woman to be your, your little bride, because the baby inside her was conceived not of another man, but by the Holy Spirit. And there's no way you can understand that, Joseph, but just trust it and take it. And so after hearing God speak to him in that dream, giving him that message, he gets up, he takes Mary to be his wife. And about that time, um, the Bible says that 
There was a political situation. There was a taxation that went into effect by the Roman Empire. Luke tells us a little bit about this. I have this on the slide. It begins in uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Here's what Luke says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register, the town of their family origin. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. David was in his family tree. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and she was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. All right? So get this, Mary's expecting, they're living in Nazareth in separate places, they're not married yet, they decide to go to Bethlehem where Joseph's family line is, and there they are to register. Now, I want you to hold on to this next thought, The, 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 the distance between Nazareth and Bethlehem is 80 miles. They're walking maybe riding a donkey, but even if one of them's riding a donkey, the other one is walking, most likely. She's pregnant. She's in the latter month of her pregnancy. Now, I have firsthand knowledge of how far a pregnant woman can walk in the last month of her pregnancy. I don't know how many of you remember, but in the early part of 1986, it was widely reported that Halley's Comet would make its closest proximity to Earth. And I wanted to see it. The best time to see it was along about 4 a.m., 3.30 to 4 a.m., and the best place on the planet to see it was the top of Stone Mountain. My wife is in her last month of pregnancy with our son, Zach. I'm at my first church. I know everything there is to know about God. (laughs) Because I'm the pastor of the first church, and I, I just know everything. And so I know that it's all right for us, including Amanda, to go to Stone Mountain at about 2.30 in the morning, because we want to beat the crowd, and walk up Stone Mountain to see Halley's Comet. We did so. It was the closest she ever came in my memory to abandoning the Christian faith. (laughs) And abandoning me to boot. Now, it's not about, I don't know, it's not a half mile from the foot of Stone Mountain to the top of it. Uh, It took us a good hour and a half to get up there because she was pregnant. And we had to stop. She was sick. She was having morning sickness at 2.30 in the morning. And of course, we got up to the top of Stone Mountain, and there were probably a hundred different Halley's Comets that people were seeing. I don't know which one was the right one, because we were up there about 30 minutes, and Amanda said, we are not staying here. You are taking me home. And so we did. 
You don't go far with an expectant mother. My guess is that at the tops, Mary and Joseph traveled 10 miles a day on foot, maybe 15, but I'm guessing 10, 80-mile trip. It took them eight days to get there if everything went well. I get this. Time passed by. Don't, don't miss that. Time passed by. They get to Bethlehem. I don't know how long they're there. My guess is if I'm, I'm trying to get into Joseph's head and think the way Joseph might have thought, he's thinking, I, I know she's pregnant, but my goal is to get to Bethlehem, get registered for the tax, get back to Nazareth before she has this baby. That would be my guess. Now, the scriptures don't say that, but I'm just thinking the way at least uh, uh, um, uh, I would think. I got to get her back to Nazareth. Well, it doesn't work that way, does it? Because they get to Bethlehem, and of course, uh, they have to spend the night in a stable. We don't know how many nights they spent there, so they don't have good accommodations. And Joseph registers. He's hoping to get back to Nazareth, but before they can get their, their bags packed to leave, what happens? Mary's water breaks. All of a sudden, what was already abnormal is even more abnormal. This is not the way the book was written, Joseph is thinking. And they have to stay there. And time passes. She has the baby. We know that when that baby was eight days old, they travel from Bethlehem up to uh, Jerusalem, to the temple, to have him dedicated. We know that. That would have taken... Uh, A good, full day's journey. Surely they stayed in Jerusalem overnight after the dedication of the baby. Then they go back to Bethlehem and they stay there for several months. We know that by the time the wise men came, Joseph and Mary had been there long enough that they're no longer in a stable. They're actually staying in a house. And then... The wise men come and go, and God says to Joseph in that dream, don't go back to Nazareth yet, don't stay here. Herod's going to try to kill the child. Go to Egypt. Now, if you go to Google Maps, and you try to figure out how far it is from Bethlehem of Judea to Suez, Egypt, here's how far it is. Google won't tell you. Now, I know some of you are going to go right home because you don't believe the preacher. You hardly believe anything the preacher. I'm going to go check this out myself. Go check it out. Check it out. (laughs) Won't tell you. In fact, Google, with all of its technological advancement, goes back to the old, the old map where they have a little inch line down at the bottom of the screen says this one inch equals so many miles. And so you have to take, you have to take that part of your finger and stick it to your computer screen. And measure off the miles. You know how many miles it is from Bethlehem of Judea to Suez, Egypt? And that's assuming they went to Suez, Egypt. That's the closest place they could have gone. 120 miles. If they went to another place in Egypt, it could have been double that. Again, she has just given birth to a child. They have a child in tow. She's just getting over, trying to get over having just given birth to a child. You ladies... I don't know. You ladies know what it's like. You've just given birth to a child. You're not ready to run a relay, and you're certainly not ready to go walking to Egypt. Especially when you didn't plan to do so. You want to go home. Hello? 
but they go to Egypt. It's going to take them at least 12 days, maybe more than that, if everything went well, to get to Egypt. 12 days. Now, here's what I want you to get. Time passed by. Did you, see, did you hear that? Time passed by. Now, they're in Egypt. Now, God has told uh, Joseph, he said, I want you to stay there until Herod is dead. Jesus was born somewhere around 6 B.C., the year 6 B.C. Herod died in 4 B.C. Now, that means that Mary and Joseph were in Egypt perhaps, perhaps a year and a half. Oh, let me say this again. Time passed by. Did you get that? I want to make sure you got that. Then Herod dies in 4 B.C. They've been down there a year and a half. It's been a long time since they've been back to Nazareth. Joseph thought they'd be back in two weeks or three. Listen, they left the heat running over in Nazareth. The thermostat was still on. They left their cat down there. They've been gone. They've been gone two years. Then God says to Joseph, all right, Herod is dead. Come on back. They get up and they head back another 120 miles to Bethlehem, another 80 miles from Bethlehem to Nazareth. Now you're talking about 200 miles. Now you're talking about at least 20 days, assuming that they went 10 miles every single day of those 20 days, which is highly unlikely. But they're covering 200 miles in at least 20 days. Uh, 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 Let me say this again. Time passed by. They get back to Nazareth. And they finally, after perhaps two and a half years of being everywhere but the place they really wanted to be. I mean, really. Remember the reason they first left Nazareth to go to Bethlehem. It was so that they could go pay taxes. How many of you, raise your hand if you want to take a vacation this year just so you can pay your taxes. Raise both hands because I know you're excited about it. They didn't want to go. Left thinking it would just be three weeks, maybe four weeks tops. Two and a half years later, they finally come back home. Where in the world have you been, Joseph? Well, it's a long story. Why? Because time has passed by. So that leads me to the one key ingredient I want to leave with you here today. When you find yourself with your life changed so that life is no longer what it normally was and you are fighting your way to get back to normal, not only does finding your way back to normal require being attentive to God's direction, but Finding your way back to normal will take time. Do not expect to be well overnight. Do not expect God to work in your life in a rapid fire way. Healing takes time. Getting back to some semblance of normal takes time. I'm reminded of Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia in chapter 6, verse 1. He says to them, to the, to the Christians in Galatia, he says, he says, if any of you 
has a church member who wanders and falls morally. Reach out to that person and restore him gently. I bring that up because in, in the Greek, the restore him gently word, it's one word, is a medical term. It's a doctor's term. It means, it's the term they would usually use for the resetting of a severely broken bone. Do it slowly, carefully, gently. You're finding your way back to normal or trying to? Give it time. Don't rush it. Give it time. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, keep our ears tuned to your direction. And Lord, increase our patience so that we will persevere the time necessary to allow you to work. Lord, help us to find our way back to normal. There are people in this room who are desperate to find normal again. God, help them. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.